When 2020 began, nobody could have predicted what was about to happen. But here we are. Here we are in living rooms and in kitchens and patios and on hillsides and highways, all over Virginia, all over the United States and even the world. Here we are reaching more people than ever before, living out our purposes to know God and to discover purpose and to get real and to make a difference and to be the change. We're seeing old relationships deepen and new ones begin through online groups that pray and support and study and even sing together. We're seeing people engage and give and share like never before. We're helping people like never before. And we're seeing people connect with our church who have never gone to church before. We pushed hard to make online church an engaging, meaningful experience for families to connect with God and with each other. Nobody could have predicted a pandemic, but the power of God cannot be confined. So here we are. Your church is thriving, and we're still focused on the mission that God gave us 18 years ago to reach people who don't go to church so that we can all experience the fullest lives possible through Jesus Christ. So whether you're with us online today or in one of our physical locations, here we are together. Get ready to experience the presence of God. Get ready to worship like never before. Get ready because no matter what is going on in the world around us, we trust in the one who knew all along where we'd be right now. So come with us and let's turn our attention to him right now. Welcome to church. All right, guys. We're just getting right into it. So come on, stand up and sing with us, please. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no Taste of His goodness, find what you're looking for.
Sometimes it can be hard, particularly in the times we're living in now. It can be hard to feel that and believe it sometimes. We do live in a broken world, but Jesus is waiting for us. He is a source of hope and peace. Whatever you guys are facing today, God sees you. You as an individual in your seat and us as a movement. And no matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter how weak your faith may feel right now, God sees you. God loves you. We're glad you're here. God's glad you're here. You belong. Who am I that the highest welcome? I was lost, but he brought me to his love. Sun says free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. Free at last, He has ransomed me, His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin. Yeah. 
today. We lift you up high with our voices and worship in this place, recognizing your presence with us here today and every day. And we're thankful for that. God, thank you for your moving here today and for the day that we have together. We pray it in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. You guys have a seat. Praise the King of Kings, right? Amen. Hey, I want to, these folks up here are leading us in worship and this production team, they make all of this possible. Can we, can we recognize them here this morning? My goodness. I just can't imagine worshiping without them. It is so amazing and it's so amazing to hear your voices out here. I'm Brian Pope, the Powhatan Campus Pastor. And it is a very good day to be in church today. So if this is your first time with us, whether you're joining us here in the room or if you're joining us online at home or wherever you're at, if you're here for the first time, we'd like you to take a moment to fill out the digital welcome card. And you can find that through our app or at pccwire.net. And our, our website there has a ton of information about our church. And if you have questions or prayer requests, when you fill out that digital card, you can put those there. And that will give us the, the ability to reach out to you if you would like to. Everything that we do here is centered around connecting people to God. And we do that through five purposes, around five purposes. Five things that have not changed, even though much has changed in our world right now. We focus on helping people to know God and to get real and to discover purpose, to make a difference and be the change. All five purposes are important. But one of the things that is really needed right now is absolutely essential to our spiritual journey is the opportunity for us to get real. When we connect with other people and develop authentic relationships, we can become healthier 
and less lonely. We can get support and encouragement and accountability. So the way that we do that here is through groups. Groups that discuss the weekend message. Groups that study the Bible through praying together. And here's the thing, it works. We thought it might be good for you to hear from somebody who has actually experienced this. So Senior Pastor Brian Hughes and Lindsay Harris are gonna tell you about that. So Lindsay, small group has played an important part in your spiritual journey. Tell us a little bit about that. For sure. Um, I was separated from my husband at the time that I ended up joining a group. And I really didn't want to go to one, but I was invited. And I finally bit the bullet and went. And um, it was not at all what I expected. Um, they, they were fighting when I showed up. <laughs> um, I mean, like, legit yelling at each other and asking questions that I didn't think you could ask ever, like whether in a group or not. And it was fascinating and good and just really healing to know that we could ask these questions and answer them together. So. You said you didn't, uh, it, it wasn't what you expected. What, what did you expect? What did you think small group was gonna <laughs> um, be like? Like meek Bible study. We're gonna read and talk about Jesus and the little children and that's, that's as far as this goes. So. <laughs> but it was very real. Yes, And that was refreshing for, sure. for you. It was, I'd never seen that before. So you kept going back. I did. And then what happened with that group? I mean, obviously they didn't know you well, even after the first time you didn't know them well. What, what happened after that? Um, it, we, it just became a part of my life every week. In fact, that first time they invited me to come back because they were worried I wouldn't after what I saw. And that was endearing too, to know that you know they wanted me regardless of where I had been or what I had to offer. Um, it was good. Well, you, you have a lot going on in your life now uh, with a lot of work and you, your marriage and your daughter and uh, extended family. Do you always think, I just can't wait to get the small group? Uh, um, tell me about that. No. <laughs> it, it's hectic. And with a lot of things in my life, I, I come to my small group night and I think, I don't, I don't want to do this tonight. I just want to stay home. Even on a Zoom meeting, I don't want to tune into this. I need brain space. But I do it every week. And every week, I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. It is refreshing. It is restoring. I love these people. Um, it's, it's wonderful. So I'm assuming that you would agree that small group has been an important part of your spiritual journey and would be an important part of other people's journey too. Absolutely, yes. I, I agree with that and it has been, small group has been an important part of my journey. In fact, we built it into one of the, the ways that we plan for your spiritual growth. It's one of our five purposes, we call it Get Real. And the mechanism that we provide for that is small group. Small group is where you can take your mask off, where you can ask the hard questions, where you can have the hard conversations, and where together we grow closer into the people that God wants us to be. I can't encourage you enough to be a part of a small group, and your host at your campus is going to give you more information about that right now. So right now, having connections, having some connections and people to count on it is important now more than ever. So we officially launched new groups in early September. So today I'm asking you to raise your hand. Get on a list to receive updates that, for these new groups. Ask your questions and get inspired because we're just a few weeks away. All you need to do is text the word group to the number that you see on the screen. Text the word group to the number you see there on the screen and you'll be in the loop for that list. Now let's shift gears here slightly because we have something to celebrate today. After 10 years of being mobile, from a movie theater to a middle school to a hotel ballroom, a permanent home for our Midlothian campus is about to become reality. 
That's right. Last weekend, we broke ground for a building in the heart of Midlothian. And while there is so much uncertainty around us right now about schools and about work and about safety and health, we have hope in the future and for the future. We have hope because God has directed us and equipped us and made it clear every step of the way that this and what's happening right now, this is his plan for the future. And we have hope because God has done great things and he's continuing to do great things. So if you're already giving regularly as part of our more initiative, thank you. I want to thank you. But if you're not, but you want to be part of something incredible, check out pccwire.net slash more and join us because God has done great things and there is more to come. Pray with me right now for that, those things that are to come. Let's pray together. Hey God, we're so thankful today because you are great and you have done great things from the beginning of time when you spoke everything into existence until now, to this very day as we stand right here in this place, every life in here affected, every life tuning in right now, every life around us who's not connected has been affected by you and loved by you. God, as you do great things and we get to see that happen, we also understand that you are so far ahead of us right now, that you've created a path and maybe we can't see everything, but we're walking in faith. We are coming with you. And so God, we come here today and we offer our gifts and our offerings and our tithes. And we lay them humbly at your feet to be part of your plan and part of your future and what you see for us. God, in that. We see the life change happening around us. We see eternities altered, all because of you. So I wanna thank you today, Lord, for just letting us be a part of it. We pray it in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. God, how great you are. Great things you have done For everything we've seen There is more to come Every victory Every battle won For everything we've seen There is more to come God, how great you are The great things you have done for everything we've seen, there is more to come. Every victory, every battle won. For everything we've seen, we believe there is more to But if I say I will not mention his word. But if I say I will not mention his word. But if I say I will not mention his word. Or speak any more in his name. Or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire. His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed. 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 I cannot. 
I cannot. I cannot. Indeed, I cannot. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. For 123 years, the mountain was just a mountain, a stunning, snow-capped, nearly 10,000-foot peak that was part of the scenic landscape of the American Northwest. Over a century of still, quiet, peaceful, immovable stability. But all was not as it seemed. Inside of the monument was a growing inferno. And on May the 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens suddenly released the fire within in an infamous eruption. It was the most destructive volcanic event in U.S. history. It killed 57 people. It released a cloud of ash 15 miles into the atmosphere, a deadly concoction of toxic chemicals that made its way uh, to several parts around the world. It diverted air traffic and, and interrupted normal life for weeks for millions of people. The blast created the largest landslide in recorded history. It removed 1,300 feet from the height of the mountain. The eruption went off like a bomb, the force of it traveling across the surface of the earth at 300 miles an hour, completely annihilating in a matter of seconds 230 square miles of forest. I was just a kid when it happened. I was living 3,000 miles away on the opposite coast, But I still remember the news, I still remember the images, I still remember people talking about the fear from the cloud of toxic ash. For 123 years, it looked docile, but inside there was a fire. And on that May day, 40 years ago, the mountain was weary of holding it in. Indeed, it could not. Thankfully, not all fires are destructive. The one that Jeremiah the prophet speaks about is just as powerful, just as life-changing, but one that will change the world for good, help people be better, help us make our lives more like God wants them to be. But you know, today's conversation really isn't about geology. It's not even about biblical history. Ultimately, today we're going to talk about the here and now, because I believe that there's a fire in your bones. I think God put it there, and maybe it feels to you like your soul is dormant, like it's still in quiet, peaceful, immovable stability. But there is a passion in there. It's a fire in your bones, and when presented with the right set of circumstances, that fire will reveal itself So what we're trying to do in this series is pique your interest, spark your investigation to the fire in your bones by revealing the fire in our bones. So I asked all of our teaching pastors a question. 
I said, if you could only talk about one thing, other than a direct teaching about Jesus, who he was, who he is, what he did, why he saved us, how he saved us, other than that, because that's ultimately the fire in all of our bones, if you could talk about something else, only one other thing, what would it be? And to be honest with you, none of the teaching pastors had to think for very long because God put that fire in there, and that includes me. In my very first fully developed message as a teaching pastor in 1998, I discovered for the first time a teaching that would radically change my life from that day until this day. Not just what I believe, but how I behave, how I think about the world, and how I treat people around me. It is the fire in my bones, and it's the only thing that matters. In fact, in fact, it should be the only thing that matters to you. And you might be thinking, that, gosh, that's a little bold. Maybe, that's, maybe you're even thinking that's a little egotistical. I mean, how can I tell you what ought, to, what ought to matter in your life? You might even be mad at the suggestion. If you just think about it for a second, you can just get your temperature up about it. And, and you might say, how, how does Brian have the nerve to say such a thing to me? You might even feel judged, and I agree. But if you're going to get angry... If you're going to feel shamed at me telling you what ought to matter most to you, if you're thinking about filing a complaint, make sure that you target your feelings to someone with a more important title than mine, because I'm not the one making this statement today. Paul, the apostle, is. Paul, the apostle, in case you don't know him, he was a guy who hated the church, hated Jesus, was determined to take the church down before it ever got started, went around arresting and dragging Christ followers out of their homes, put them in jail to be tortured and so. He met Jesus in a real and personal way, turned his life completely in the other direction, became Jesus' most passionate proponent and a church planter. He's the one that eventually said these words. I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and your own religious projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, while you're being religious, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor our disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior. Then he says it. Here it is. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts? I mean, isn't that too much? I mean, Paul could have said something like, look, your highest priority should be, or hey, I've got something that definitely ought to make your top 10. Or your life will be incomplete without, or you'll never reach your full potential if, if you don't. But the only thing that counts, really? If I asked you right now, if I asked you, what's the only thing that counts in your life? And we don't really ask that question. It'd be hard for you to answer. You'd say, well, gosh, more than one thing really counts. Well, what if I said, what matters most? The thing that's at the top of your list. My guess is that if I had asked that question of you 10 minutes ago, faith expressing itself through love would not have been the thing that you would have answered, the only thing that counts. 
And we would have said, all of us, we would have said good and noble and cause-driven, others-focused answers maybe that everybody else would applaud. What matters most? My family. How about that one? At almost every funeral I do, those who are still here say about the one who is gone now, something like, you know, family mattered most to her, or his family was the most important thing to him. So I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. But but if I took a quick, live, real-time survey right now and asked you to affirm if your family is the most important thing to you, we would have hands raised all over this uh, room, all over every one of our campuses, and at every screen online. And if I didn't have this fire in my bones, if I had never heard this teaching, I am confident that I would raise my hand at that question. I'd probably raise both of them. I'm crazy about my family. I know you are too. But here's a secret. When you live, when you understand what it means to live faith expressing itself through love as the only thing that counts, your family actually gets the best that you could possibly offer them. How about helping others? I mean, some people might say, the most important thing to me is a life that is selfless, that considers the needs of others and sacrifices to help them. Isn't that what Jesus taught after all? Sort of. But when you live faith expressing itself through love as the only thing that counts, people who need you to help them get the best that you have to give. And you might say, I'll tell you what matters most to me. Standing up for what is right and what is just is the most important thing. That's the thing that counts. And you'd be right in that that's a really important thing. But when you live a life of faith expressing itself through love as the only thing that counts, you will be able to seek justice and graciously love your neighbor even when your neighbor doesn't love you back, even when they disagree with you or treat you poorly. And we could go on and on with honor-worthy responses that you might give as the only thing or the most important thing that counts in your life, but all of them would fall short of Paul's declaration, his command to us. So I want to ask you to come with me. Take a, let's take a step back. Let's look more closely at what Paul actually said, and let's figure out how to apply it to our lives. After all, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is what we do. We take the teachings of the Bible, we figure out how does this apply in my life today, and for those of you who, still, who are still checking out the claims of Jesus, that's okay. We want you to, I think God wants you to make a measured, uh, informed decision before you just jump in. So this is what it means. Paul was talking to this group of people in a region called Galatia, which is why the letter, the, the book we're looking at is called Galatians. It's really not a book, it's really a letter, the letter to the Galatians. So Paul had started a church in this place And he was really good at starting churches. This is how he would do it. You know, after he becomes a follower of Jesus, he would go into a place that he didn't really know anybody. And he would gather some people around and he would tell them how they could live a better life, which they all wanted to do. And heck, that's what we all want to do. So it's a compelling conversation. And he hooks them with that, with something he can actually deliver on, how to live a better life. And so when they say, yeah, I'm interested, he introduced them to Jesus Christ They would give their lives to Jesus. And then Paul would begin to mentor them about what does this mean? How do you change your life? 
to live this way, and then he would set up some leaders and organize them as what would be known as a church. He'd train the leaders, get it going real good, and then he'd leave. And he'd go to the next place, and he'd do it all over again, and he would write letters to the churches he planted, which is why he wrote a letter to the church in Galatia, the Galatians. So this is really important. This gets to the point of today, and what I'm about to say is going to confuse some people, and that's okay. So it, what I'm about to say is totally true and maybe shocking. One of Paul's core teachings was that being religious is not what God wants for you. One of his core teachings is that being religious is not what God wants for you. In fact, in fact, he would say that being religious actually pulls you further away from God instead of drawing you closer to him. And this might be confusing for people, especially people new to church. You probably came today, and, and, or you've gone to some other church, or you, you've come here and you've thought, well, isn't that the essence of what churches do? Aren't they a religious organization? Don't they practice religion? So for those of you who've been around our church any time at all, maybe a month or maybe a decade or maybe from the beginning, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself this question. Can you ever remember a time when I use the word religious or religion as a way of defining myself, unless I was quoting someone else, someone else's words, I know the answer to the question. The answer is no. No, you can't. The reason is because I don't ever do that. I don't want to be thought of or seen as a religious person. See, both Jesus himself and arguably his greatest proponent, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament for us, and is probably the greatest missionary ever, did more to expand the church other than Jesus himself than anybody in all of history. Jesus and Paul himself, they both went out of their way to say that if you're following the rules, if you're dedicated to the rituals, if you're focused on religion as a way of getting to God, you are misguided. Why? Well, it's easy. You're focused on the wrong thing. Your head is down here. You're looking at the checklist and am I getting the rituals right? And do I have all, am I following all the rules? And am I doing the religion the way that I'm supposed to? Your focus is here. Your target becomes here instead of here. And you think about your own performance. And then when you fall short of your performance, because everybody falls short, we'd at least admit to that in theory, right? When you fall short of your performance to the checklist, your fallback position is comparison. And you say, well, God, I might not have been perfect, but I'm way better than Bill over there. Have you seen him lately? Our focus cannot be on our performance. It can't be on the checklist or the rules or the rituals or the religion it is on the relationship. My focus is here in an interactive, ongoing, continuous relationship with a God who is alive and speaks today. Jesus did not come to give us more religion. He came to free us from it. And he replaced religion with himself. So I don't mean to make you feel bad, I'm sure people have said all kinds of things about me. This might be one of them. It might be the best thing you've ever said about me. But just so you know, I think the worst thing you can ever say about me is that I'm religious. Brian Hughes is not religious. He's just crazy about following Jesus. And for me, those are two very different things. And Paul's conversation with the Galatian church is trying to say, hey, hey, you guys were crazy about following Jesus. 
And then after I left to go do my thing somewhere else, some old school people moved in and they convinced you to go back, back to the way things were. And when you did that, you changed your focus from here to here and you lost your passion. You lost your closeness with God. You lost the fire in your bones. Why? Because you went back to rules and rituals and religion. Now, with that in mind, I want you to hear the text again. I suspect you'd never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Jesus Christ. You fall out of grace. Being more religious brings you less relationship. Meanwhile, while you're being more religious, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit, which he implies never comes, because in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion, nor, which is one extreme, nor our disregard of religion, which is the other extreme, he puts those together. And he says, neither one of them amount to anything. What matters is something far more interior. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. As a matter of fact, can I just ask you, uh, in this room, online, at every one of our campuses, would you just start here and say this with me? Here we go. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Maybe it's our human nature to dissect and divide things, to separate things that should never be alone because they're real power and sometimes in these two things, the real power happens when you put them together. And we could talk about benign stuff like a bow and an arrow. They don't really work apart from each other or a hammer and a nail or my favorite, chips and salsa, which should never be separated. Or my least favorite, exercise and nutrition, which I try to take apart all the time. We're certainly good though as human beings, you and I, we're good at division. Maybe, maybe this is not a conscious effort on our part, but I think we've done that with this text, with this teaching about the only thing that counts. Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, and we want to peel that apart. Let me show you. If I had put this statement on this screen before, we, before I started talking a few minutes ago, if I had started with this statement, faith is the only thing that counts, many of us, this would include me, by the way, without this teaching. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody except at least me. Many of us would have looked at this statement standing on its own, and we would have applauded it. We would shake our heads at it. We would affirm it. We would say amen. We would get behind it. We'd put it as a banner on our social media pages. We'd say the only, faith is the only thing that counts. And, and let's be honest. If I said, listen, don't you want to tack some love on here? You'd be in a challenging position not to disagree with it. You'd say, oh, oh, sure. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Put love on there. So if, if I pushed you, you'd tag love onto this sentence. But for some people, the way that we live our lives, the way that we think about others, and the way that we treat other people, this really exemplifies it. Faith for some people is an exercise in belief alone. It's the accumulation of knowledge about God and the Bible. It's the building of biblical trivia. The person that puts a period at the end of this sentence is, is the person that knows more about the Bible than anybody else, probably me and you and anybody they know. 
This person can quote verbatim long passages of scripture. They never miss an opportunity to parade their impressive religious resume in front of all of their adoring followers. They tell everyone about praying in their closet for hours on end. They put pictures of their painful fasting experiences on social media so that you can see them wither away one sacrificial pound at a time. And they're very good at preaching after we've started to pray. They're supposed to be talking to God. They're really preaching at the rest of us, holding hands for long periods of time around the circle. And you might think, Brian, I've not heard you like this. This sounds really harsh. You're really being harsh here. I promise you, this is the nice version. If you read Jesus' statements to the faith without love types in Matthew 23, you might see a side of Jesus that you've never seen before. He calls these people hopeless, frauds, hypocrites, arrogant, and even stupid. It's all there. You ought to go read it. Don't do it now. Uh, just wait till after church today. Open it up over your lunch conversation and make wonderful lunch conversation with you and your friends and family. Matthew 23, that's on the house. Paul said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Some people express their faith and they put a period on the end of the sentence. Some people express their faith through other lenses, like faith expressing itself through judgment. This is the person that uses their knowledge about God and the Bible as a weapon to enforce right living in everyone else around them. Religion becomes a measure of who's more righteous, and that's their expression of their faith. And you've probably been around somebody like this, don't elbow the person sitting next to you, but you may be the person like this. And I'm ashamed to tell you that I started my spiritual journey as a young man when I, when I got serious about my faith, this is how I began. I actually thought the point was to know that I was right and show everybody around me how wrong they were. Here's another one. This one's gonna be hard. I don't even know if I can do it. Some people live their faith expressing itself through politics. This is going to rub some folks the wrong way, but here it is. Don't, please don't respond because there's two sides to this. I'm not done after the first one. There are passionate followers of Jesus who voted for the current president. And there are passionate followers of Jesus who voted for the last president. And there are people who will say publicly that if you don't vote this way or that way, you are not being faithful to God. In fact, some people would say you can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't vote the way that I think you should vote. And when you get to heaven, you are going to be shocked. Shocked. For this person, the one who lives their faith expressing itself through politics, the, the epitome of faith's expression is in the, in the, in the political arena. For you, it's either red or it's blue. It can't be both. And if that's you, I just want to remind you of Paul's words today. Don't shoot the messenger. This is the Apostle Paul. He said the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through American politics? No. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I am not saying, just as a disclaimer, I'm not saying that how you vote is not important. Of course it's important. 
And as a person of faith, as a person who wants to live my faith, expressing itself through love, when I vote, that's a, this, is a, this is not just a part of who I am. Following Jesus is everything that I am. Of course, that comes out in the way that I vote. But there is something even more important than my, than my passionate allegiance and pride at being an American. The way that you live your life a life of faith expressing itself through love is even more important than your patriotism. Here's one more. Some live their faith expressing itself through self-reliance. This is the person who has worked hard. They're proud of it. They should be. They've accumulated some wealth and achieved some success in their life. And while they give credit to God, which is the faith part, they refuse to give God access to their portfolio. This is faith expressing itself through their scorecard. And it says, well, God has blessed me for the purpose of me. The blessing is for me. And I know a lot of people like this. They'll give a gentle nod to the divine and it makes them feel better about not expressing their faith through sacrificial love through sharing their blessing with a generous, truly generous spirit. We could go on and on. Faith without love has lots of expressions, and some of them are pretty ugly. But the bottom line is that faith, in any other way, especially alone, faith alone divides people. But faith expressing itself through love unites people. Because it knows that we are all equally and infinitely valuable to God, even if we don't see the world the same way, even if we don't look the same way. Faith alone talks a lot. Faith expressing itself through love listens a lot because it seeks to understand. The faith alone draws lines. It erects barriers. It creates an us versus them conversation all around us but faith expressing itself through love does what jesus taught what you and i might champion and put as a banner on our social media site but find it much harder to live faith expressing itself through love does things like turn the other cheek go the extra mile serve other people even when those same people treat us poorly or speak ill of us in response and when i look around on social media today, which is a painful experience, probably for you too. I see lots of people who are showing their faith right now, but they are not doing it with love. And the bottom line is that if faith is expressed in any other way than through love, it is incomplete at best and it is harmful many times. It allows people to hear your words about God, what you say about God, what you say you believe about God, but to demonstrate your faith in God through some other lens in a way that is not the truth about who God is. Why? Because the Bible makes this crystal clear. John, one of the disciples, one of the closest followers of Jesus, he said it plainly like this, God is love. God is is love. Let me give you the fuller context. He said, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. So this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as, his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. When you express your faith in God with anything other than love, however noble it may seem, you are painting a confusing, conflicting picture. You have to have both. Faith expressing itself through love. Now, some people might say, well, isn't love alone, isn't that good enough? I just want to express love. Leave the faith part off to the side. The iconic Beatles tune would say it. All you need is love. But Paul would argue with that. He would say love alone without faith in the one who is love, who defines love, it's incomplete. You can't, it's, it can't be real apart from the one who is love. Love of people without faith removes Jesus, and he's not only the greatest example of love, he's the power source for love, which is why Paul wrote somewhere else, God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So living a life of love without faith, it's, it's not that it's bad, it's good. You'll help some people today. But it won't solve. Love without faith will not solve the systemic problems of our world. It won't provide a basis, a real internal basis for the way that we value each other and treat each other. Love without faith in the author of love provides temporary relief, but it does nothing to change the heart, which ultimately is the problem in humanity today. And love without faith doesn't even begin to address eternity. So when Paul boldly imposes on your life, when he gets, when he gets that far into your life that he would just have that much nerve to say that the only thing that ought to count for you is faith expressing itself through love, he is making these two things, faith and love, conjoined twins. He's making them inseparable. He's saying each one of these is not viable without the other. You can't define one without the other in its purest way. And he's telling us the secret to living and being and growing in a way that God can ultimately move in our lives effectively. He's saying you can't peel apart your faith life from the rest of your life. They go together. Faith expressing itself through love, listen, you're gonna like this. Faith expressing itself through love cannot be forget, uh, forbidden by your human resources department at your work. Faith expressing itself through love can't be regulated out of government and it can't be removed from schools. Why? Because this is about who I am. More than what I say, more than the t-shirt that I wear, no one can take away from me my all-consuming faith in Jesus and no one would want to do that. Because if you take away my faith expressing itself through love, what you're doing is you're taking away something from me that is never selfish, and, no, and people want that. Faith expressing itself through love is never judgmental. It never puts my desire above your need. James, the brother of Jesus, one time said, faith without works is completely dead. What works is he talking about? Well, you just got to read a little bit of his words, combine it with the teaching of Jesus and Paul, the entire New Testament, and you will see it will all, always lead you to this one truth. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You'll have nowhere to go but that when you read Jesus' words and Paul's teaching and the teaching of James and others in the New Testament. When I live this way, when I live faith expressing itself through love, guess what? My family wins, and my community wins, 
and people who are forgotten around me win, and people who need a voice around me win, and ultimately, I win, because I have lived my best life, a life that honors God to the highest potential, left the world better than I found it, and I get rewarded with eternity. I get to go to heaven after I hear God say on my very first day there something like this, well done, well done. You've been a good and faithful servant because you've lived a life of faith, expressing itself through love. Because this is a life that I am determined not to live just for myself. Instead, grounded in the love that Jesus extended to me, I expressed my faith in that kind of love for other people. And you can do this too. It's the only thing that counts. And this is within your power to choose it. Formed us, you made us care 
Today's experience is not just to make us feel good. It's to help us to be better. What does that mean? It means the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What does that look like in your life? I I can't answer that for you, but God can. All you have to do is ask him. So let's dedicate this week to praying and asking God and listening from Him to hear how we can better express our faith through love. And maybe share how God is moving in your life with somebody. Maybe share your experience with them. And we can change the world through love. Have a great week, and we'll see you right back here next Sunday.